Well, good morning. This has been a, a great time this morning, great worship, great testimonies, and uh, I'm always happy when I can be back here. I haven't been here on campus for a little while, so this is a great treat for me. This is my wife, Judy. Judy, stand and wave to them, just say, see who you are. And we just actually celebrated, last month we celebrated our 49th anniversary, so that's... That is, that is really something. And I can tell you, it has nothing to do with missions directly, but I can tell you it's very important when you're choosing who you're going to spend your life with that they are on the same page as you are. So uh, it's more important than buying a house or buying a car. Uh, the only thing more important is probably getting saved and choosing Jesus. But after that, who you marry and spend your life with is going to determine a whole lot about what you do, where you go, and how happy you are in the process. I want to get right to the message today um, because I probably have a whole lot more to say than I actually have time to say. So we'll just trust the Lord to work through that. Normally, I'd say a normal uh, message would be you have an introduction, you have three points, and a conclusion. That's kind of typical. Well, today we're going to have an introduction, we're going to have one point, and a question. And that's not the question, that's the, name of the, that's the name of the message, but that's not the question I'm going to pose at the end. So we do live in an incredibly uh, amazing time. Uh, I, I honestly do believe that the Great Commission is on the cusp of being fulfilled. Um, I'm probably not the one that's going to be an integral part of that, but you can be, and, and finally bring in the gospel to all nations. So... He sends us, he fully empowers us to do that. You know, the more I read the scriptures, I've been a Christian for a long time, I've been reading the Bible a long time, the more I read it, the more I realize that Jesus said what he meant, and he meant what he said. There's not a lot of fluff in the Bible. And in fact, sometimes if you want to, maybe you've done this, just go and read the New Testament, just read the red. Just read whatever he said and, and skip all the other stuff just one time or so. Jesus said a lot of incredibly uh, amazing and important things, and he meant every single one of them that he said. He didn't just use fillers. He wasn't just using words. Now, there is a, a verse. We'll start here in Acts 1.8. In Acts 1.8, you probably can recite it to me. We don't probably even have to read it, but let me read it to you. In Acts 1.8, Jesus giving instructions to his followers who are going to begin this great thing of taking the gospel to the whole world. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He wasn't speaking symbolically. He wasn't exaggerating what he wanted us to do. Uh, he wasn't talking to someone else. But he said what he meant, and he meant what he said, and that goes to us to this very day. And Actually, he is not only wanting, but he is expecting his followers to be, at one level or another, engaged in taking the gospel to the world. And then he, he, he begins to talk about the scope of that. He says, you shall receive power. Uh, so when you find yourself in India and you found yourself in something where you're totally ill-prepared or unprepared or ungifted for, but there you are, you can trust the Lord for power to come to help you 
through that time. We're not talking about the power today, but he does empower us. And then he told them what the power would be for. It would be to empower you to be witnesses. That word witness um, can be uh, translated martyr. Uh, so whether you die physically or whether you die to self, you're going to die. Uh, so they, so he gives us power to be witnesses. And then he begins to explain the breadth and the scope of it. And it would be in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Then along with Matthew 28, 19, and 20, frame these final marching orders that Jesus gave to us when he said, uh, go therefore into all the world and make disciples and teaching them and baptizing them, and I'm with you always. So he gave us those words. Now, he never expected his followers in Jerusalem to stay in Jerusalem until every person in Jerusalem was saved and then move on to Judea and do it there again. And then when that was all done, then begin to move on. No, it wasn't here and then, and then there and then there. It's all at the same time. No matter of fact, as you read the book of Acts, you will see the gospel is going out. But every once in a while, we check back with Jerusalem and the church is still doing what they do there. But the gospel is going out. So he wants Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth all at the same time, so it's not one or the other. Um, you know, so many times I've heard people say over the years, you know, you're going overseas, we have so many needs here. I mean, if you ever heard that. And that's true, we do have needs here, and there's going to be people that God puts his hand upon to, to, to help minister to those needs, but he's going to lay his hands on other people to go to the Judea, Samaria, and so on. Now, Jerusalem is pretty easy to comprehend. It's where, it's where we live. It's uh, where, where people know us best, which can be a, that can be a plus and that can be a minus. Uh, but they know us best. They know our weaknesses and our flaws. Um, and, uh, but they also, we also have a way to touch them that uh, is very personal. Then we go to Judea. This is still the introduction, just trying to lay something out here. Judea would be like culturally the same, but personally unknown to us. So it's just maybe the people in, in our region of the United States, something like that. We speak the same language, we like the same food, uh, we watch the same TV programs, and so on. Um, and there's not a lot of significant uh, difficulty in reaching Judea. You don't even have to go to language school, okay? So it's right there. And then we come to Samaria. Now, we, we can run into a little bit of a problem with Samaria. Uh, we need to understand something about Samaria in the context of the time that Jesus said this. It was radical. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Yeah, I get that. That's good. And then Judea. That's, that's wonderful. But Samaria? Samaritans were, they were called dogs. They were looked down upon by the Jews as Samaritan dogs. They were called enemies of Jews in the book of Ezra. When the Pharisees wanted to really, really insult Jesus in John 8, 48, they said he was a demon-possessed Samaritan. And it doesn't get any worse than that. When Jesus went into Samaria, he, he met with the woman at the well in, in John 4, and, and, and she said, why would you, a Jew, even talk to me? So there was this barrier that was there. At one point, Jesus was asked, he was teaching about loving your neighbor and all that, and one of them said, oh, yeah, okay, I can, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that, but who's my neighbor? And really what he was doing, he was looking for a way out. He was looking for limits to this thing. And so Jesus told a story of what? The Good Samaritan. 
And, and so we, the guy is, is beaten by robbers and he's left on the side of the road and the Jewish priests come by and he's too busy and the Jewish Levi goes by, he's too busy. But this Samaritan ministers to this guy's need. I'm sure he chose a Samaritan for his parable because he wanted to provoke them. In our world, I think Samaritans are those that we really don't like very much. Now, this is, when you look at the book of Jonah, okay, so Jonah's a prophet, and God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, I want you to deliver my message. His response was, he went down to the dock, he bought his own fare on a, on a ship, and it says he went down into the ship. And it gives you some idea what was coming. When he got out there, you know the story, a big storm came. Finally, they threw him over, overboard. Finally, a, a whale comes or a fish of some sort comes and takes him. And then after three days, it took him three days <laughs> to finally say yes. After three days, he, he's, he's kind of thrown up on the shore there. He goes to Nineveh and he begins to preach. And you know what happened, right? They repented. This was, a, this was his worst nightmare. The last thing he wanted was the Ninevites to repent. He wanted the judgment of God upon them. So he went and he did it only because the alternative was living inside of a fish. So he went and he did it. And then he went and he went up on the hillside and overlooked Nineveh, which is a large city. And he just kind of sat back to see what was going to happen. And um, as the story goes, he was pretty upset because doggone it, God showed mercy. He turned back his wrath from Nineveh. We had a, not too long ago, we had an a international leadership conference over at Elam Fellowship, and we had international leaders of movements from all over, from, from Asia and Europe and Africa, South America. There was quite a good number of them, but one of the, one of the leaders there was somebody that I had been with and ministered with over from an African country and uh, as, as he showed up and we began to just catch up on what's going on I found out that because in his country he was from the wrong tribe there was two there was a dominant tribe and, a, and the other the other tribe because he wasn't from the right tribe uh, and there was tribal difficulties in the country they turned on him, and he had to, with his family, run for his life, and he was living in exile. He still is, as far as I know, living in exile from this country. And this is a man that had a, a tremendous ministry of planting churches, and, and uh, he's just a, 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 tremendous, a tremendous leader and a tremendous minister of the gospel. And he is living in exile because he's in the wrong tribe. Let that sink in for a few minutes. And one of the things that he told me was he said, with much sadness, he said, some of the people that were chasing him out of that country were people from his church. In other words, believers in the church took a tribal notion against this guy and ran him out of town. You know, re reaching those who are close to you is easy. There's not a lot of expense or sacrifice Reaching those who are culturally like you is also fairly easy. Um, but when you want to reach somebody that you really don't like, it takes on a little different 
thing. Now, before you, before you shut me off and say, well, I love everybody, just hear me out to the end. And if you're still holding on to that, I say, good for you. Help me out. I remember one of the first missionary couples that I sat with when I became the missions director at Elam Fellowship was a couple that, want, that they made an appointment and, and so we sat down and we were talking and that's what I did. I met with people and they said where they wanted to go and we helped them get there. So I said, so where do you want to go? And they said, we want to go to Vietnam. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to most everybody in this room. But I grew up in the Vietnam era. When I grew up, Vietnam was at its, its height. There, it, was a, it was a messy war. There were a lot of people. Some people I know went and didn't come back. Some went and came back really messed up. And the stories I heard about what happened to them in Vietnam, and, and I, that was, that was a, long, a long time before 95 or 96, which is when this is taking place. But when they said they wanted to go to Vietnam, something in me just... I, I, I really hope that my face didn't reveal what was going on in my heart. Something in me just uh, closed down. And, I, and, and I, all I could think was, why, why would anybody want to go to Vietnam? I had something in me I, I wasn't even aware of. I was totally unaware that I had been carrying for probably the last, what would that, I didn't do the math, say 20 years, I'd been carrying... Uh, a lot of bad feelings, anger, bitterness against people that I never even met. I didn't know them. I have since gone to Vietnam uh, several times, and uh, I met some wonderful people there, and I can honestly say I love Vietnamese people right now. But at that moment in time, I'm thinking, can I direct these people to some place to some people that I would like to see saved and let God deal with Vietnam the way they deserve. There's a, a story of a, a, a lady. Her name is Corey Tenboom. I don't know if any of you are familiar with her, if you ever can get a hold of her books, The Hiding Place, Tramp for the Lord. Some of the books she wrote, they're wonderful books. And Corey Tenboom, uh, she's a tremendous woman. Matter of fact, she's so impressed us when we were young Christians. I used to listen to her talk and she just ministered to me. And we actually named our daughter Corey uh, because of Corey Ten Boom. Now her name was Cornelia and I did not do that to my daughter. But, uh, but we, her name is Corey. And anyhow, Corey Ten Boom, when she, during World War II, her father owned a, um, a clock watch shop in uh, Harlem in the Netherlands. And uh, actually visited this place. And, uh, and when the Nazis came in and they were beginning to exterminate the Jews, this family, um, it's a long story, I don't have time to go into it right now, but this family just bought in Jews and they had this secret little compartment that they could hide in if the Nazis showed up. And so they were, they were getting Jews out of harm's way. And they at, at great risk to themselves. And uh, so... One day, uh, the Nazis showed up and arrested them all, arrested her father, put him on the back of that truck and drove away, and she never saw him again. And then took her and her sister and put her on the back of another truck and took, took them to uh, a prison camp. She ended up, they, her and her sister Betsy, ended up in a prison camp called uh, Ravensbrück. And um, 
the brutality and cruelty of these facilities are, um, it, 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 it's, it's really hard to comprehend the inhumanity uh, of one person against another. Um, this is really, but they were Jews, or they, they were Jew lovers in this case, and so they were going to be punished. And so they went there and they were treated horribly. It was there that God, that God gave Corey a, a, a revelation that she carried with her and shared throughout her whole life when she said, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. And she, she received that when she was uh, in this place. It, it, one, of the, one of the things about her uh, being in this prison camp was that the lice was so bad. They, we're talking about dormitories. We're not talking about... Uh, we're not talking about what you have here. We're talking about pallets, uh, just and and they would and people would just stick in there, overcrowded, full of all kinds of disease and everything else. And there were so many, so, so much lice in there that the, that the guards wouldn't go in because they didn't want to get infested with lice. And that let her have Bible study in there. And so she led many many people to the Lord. She ministered to them. But as it went on. Eventually, her sister Betsy died in that prison camp, and only because of cruelty and neglect. Well, eventually she got out, and she survived all of that, and she began to travel all over the place. And she began to talk about how there's no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. And she was at this one place, someplace in Europe, I don't remember where it was, and she was speaking, and at the end of her message about God's love and God's forgiveness and all that up the center aisle came a man and she recognized this man as one of the guards in that prison camp that now he was coming up to her this is a man responsible for for uh, amazing suffering for her and her sister and her sister's death and he came up and she said that when she saw him the anger and the hate in her heart rose up so strong. But then God got a hold of her at that moment. And she was able to forgive him on the spot. And he asked for forgiveness and wanted to know Jesus. And she led him to Jesus. And, and it's, a, it's a tremendous story of the, of the grace of God. Samaria. People you don't like. Samaria is a difficult place to die. So we're called to go there. We're, we're called to go where only God's grace would keep us. But in that, we realize that evil people, sinners, killers, fanatics, haters, homosexuals, what, what, what is the stripe of the person that you don't particularly care for? That God loves them, each and every one of them. And the enemy, the Samaritan, needs to be saved as much as the people in your Jerusalem. Uh, a redeemed heart changes people. Some of you have seen that very dramatically in yourself or maybe in others. But hateful people become quite lovable, actually. Evil people become righteous. Change. That's what it's all about. The killer becomes a life giver. And redemption is an, an amazing work of transformation. Now in Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, we see this story, Philip. 
Okay, so this Philip, he leaves Jerusalem. So Philip went down, Acts 8, verse 5 through 8. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. There we are again. And preached Christ to them. He didn't preach to them why, they, why he despised them so much. He didn't, he didn't point out to them their horrible history and how they compromised against God. And he didn't go there. He preached Christ to them. Sometimes we get a lot farther preaching Christ to people than pointing out what they did wrong and why we don't like them. He preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Isn't that a great story? So this Jew goes over to Samaria. He tells them about Jesus, and they respond, and the Holy Spirit moves, and things happen, and the result is there's great joy in that city. God loves the Samaritan, even if we don't. There's hardly a day goes by. In fact, we heard a testimony this morning of one incident, but hardly a, a day goes by uh, when you, if you're looking around anyhow and reading that you won't find that there's been something done by radical Islamists against churches or against individuals. With so many atrocities.